Hello, everyone. Welcome to C-Suite Talks, a podcast that takes you inside some of the most interesting businesses and industries today, explores career success, and how we can make a difference. We invite you to join us on this journey. Welcome to C-Suite Talks. I'm Beth Hilbing, co-CEO of C-Suite. And I'm Diane Gubin, co-CEO of C-Suite with Beth. And we are so excited today to welcome Pamela Bowen. Pamela is a board advisor, a strategist for AI-enabled health tech companies, a national mentor to women in technology. Her company is called Eminence MSO, and she'll tell us about that. And so Pamela, welcome. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing and and who you are. So uh, I am a expert in AI-enabled tech in healthcare, and I've spent you know, 20 years of my career in healthcare, but the last six years specifically in AI-enabled health tech. And I help companies scale and implement their solutions in large health systems across the nation. Oh, that's very interesting, especially the AI portion. You know, it, it was making all the news, and then I haven't heard that much about it because it's all been about COVID and so forth. Yeah, so so what does AI mean in your world? Like, let's define what, I mean, I know it's artificial intelligence, but what it, what what does that mean from your point of view in terms of the work you're doing? Artificial intelligence means uh, quite a number of things, but specifically in the work that I'm doing, we're doing advanced AI. So we're doing more than just natural language processing or machine learning. We're doing Bayesian um, algorithms, and we're making sure that our AI is unbiased. And to do that, it takes much more time than I think people have ever anticipated. So one of the organizations that I worked with we spend six years working on the technology. We spent another two in a study, and we just published our latest study in a peer-reviewed magazine, which is very difficult to do, but showing that we've reduced the total cost of care by 19.3%, and we have re- reduced adverse effects for medications by 25%, We've reduced ER visits by 15%, and we've increased the quality of life for the patients that we've served. So that really, to me, shows the power of AI in healthcare when it's used appropriately. Wow. Very interesting. I still need a little bit more of a concrete example. So, so give it to me in real layman's terms. <laughs> I'll, give you, I'll give you an example. So Let's talk about chronic disease in America for a moment, Mm -hmm. because chronic diseases in America are rampant. And for people over the age of 65, I don't know if anyone knows this, but the average medication profile for someone over the age of 65 is 12 medications. Okay, Wow. That's a lot. Oh, my gosh. In the study that we did, the average number of medications for these patients was 20. Now... A physician or a clinical pharmacist cannot take a 20 medication profile, look at all of the adverse, potential adverse effects for all of these medications, and decide which medication should be substituted, which medication should be switched out, which medication is actually functioning as it's expected, to eliminate the adverse effects that medication can give us. AI can take that profile, all of the adverse effects, that have been documented, all of the potential problems that these medications have, put them into a a heat map, show the clinician, 
If you substitute this medication for that one and you eliminate these three medications, you're going to get the same effect to the patient, you're going to reduce the cost of care, you're going to improve the patient's life, and you're going to reduce the potential that the medications are going to harm the patient. That's what AI can, can do in healthcare. That's amazing. I think that's astounding that the average person, yeah, takes 12 medications. That's very interesting. So Pamela, tell us a little bit about your background, because your background's amazing, um, and especially about your grandmother and your big family. So tell us a little bit about that. My background is very non-traditional, so I did not graduate from college uh, to become a CIO. I became a CIO at the age of 25 uh, for a little company called Best Buy, and I... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, listen, Best Buy has sucked a lot of my money, let me say that. (laughs) Mine too. And um, I come from a Hawaiian lineage. My mother is Hawaiian. I'm a seventh-generation Hawaiian healer in my mother's lineage of La'aukahea. And my great-grandmother was taught music by Queen Liliuokalani. And it's from this lineage that I draw the core value of connection. That really is my core value. Um, And I I live by that core value every day. I uh, went on after becoming a CIO, formed my own consulting company, and uh, then for a period of time became a CIO of a healthcare company that we sold to Walgreens and um, then founded Eminence and have started in the AI-enabled field for health tech. So that's, that's really my background. Wow. You know what? I want, I want to talk more about the work you're doing, but before we do that, what does it mean to be a Hawaiian healer? It means that in, in today's world, we would consider that um, comparable to quantum energy. So we would, Hawaiians really had a solid handle on how energy affects each of us and what each of us carries within our own bodies and the fact that we are both receivers and transmitters of energy, right? That's why we get an EKG. It's why we have an EEG, right? That's all electricity. It's all energy. And that energy can affect us in multiple ways. And Hawaiians knew that, and they used that to heal people. And so that's, that's really what I practice uh, in everything that I do, really. That's why I mentor women in tech, because I know that there is so much that happens that I can use that lineage to help them achieve what they want to achieve and help heal some of the wounds that corporate America can place in women. Oh, Beth knows nothing about that. <laughs> well, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, I know exactly. <laughs> oh, oh my it's gosh. It's too funny. It's too funny. Well, tell us, um, tell us a little bit more about the challenges that your clients face in health tech over the last couple of years and how you've helped navigate them and attempt to drive to success. It's really, really difficult, I think, for people that are not from healthcare to come into healthcare with a health tech idea. We have so much coming into healthcare because we there are so many people that think it's an industry ripe for disruption and, and innovation, and that's true. And with that, what I try to help my clients understand is that there is a longer runway. Typically, VC is going to want a three to five year exit. And I always tell my health tech clients, you're looking at an eight to 10 year runway. This is not a three to five year runway because you do have to perform the 
the peer-reviewed studies. You do have to do the clinical validation. You do have to help providers understand that you're taking great care with their patients and you are doing the best you possibly can to make sure that you are helping and not hurting. It's a very different model than a consumer model because it cannot move as quickly as we would think that it should be able to. So I help my clients understand that. I also help them understand how to partner with health systems because that in and of itself is a very different model as well. So I help them get through um, value-based compensation agreements. I help them understand why the procurement process can take as long as it can in a health system. I help them understand that the average length of time to sell to a healthcare client is nine to 12 months. It's not a three to four month turnaround time. So you have to build the ramp for that, you have to account for that, and you have to make sure that you've got the runway in your budget for that. And I help them do that. Wow, that's really good. And, and are most of your, uh, the companies you work with, fast growth companies, it sounds like, or are there startups? They are. They're fast growth com- companies. They um, have amazing team members, and they are incredible at what they do. And they need someone who has 20 years of healthcare experience to help them understand what they don't know about healthcare. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, some of these uh, technologies that you're talking about in AI just seem like such a benefit to the whole world. Um, are they are these patents that are held by like one or two or specific companies or are they open to all healthcare companies? Uh, these are proprietary patents. Mm-hmm. So the IP is held in, in patent to the company. Right, right. Because if, if I was, you know, 65 plus, or if I had, you know, or my parents were on 20 different medicines, I would want to be able to access that technology that you talked about earlier. So how does one do so? You would do that through your health system. And you would do that by asking for a medication therapy management review. And that would allow um, a clinical pharmacist to take the medication profile and put it into our AI application and see the heat map and look and make clinical decisions about which medication should be kept and which can be switched so that you get the optimum regimen for the patient. And that is how they would access it. We did try initially to do a a direct-to-consumer model, but people had a very difficult time with the heat map because there's so much information on it. So we are trying to find a way to narrow that so that a consumer can enter their own information um, we're not at rollout yet, but we do expect that to be somewhat of a future rollout. Yeah, because I know that um, a lot, like my mother, she went to so many different doctors, and each doctor gave her prescriptions. And I don't think, because she was in a small town, that she really had a good GOP to keep track of all that. And I think that was part of her issues. So, yeah, that's very interesting. Right. It, it would seem that this could be like a 23 in May, you know, where... Can't, can't you do, like just do a spit test and send it someplace and get it checked? I'm sure they could do that, but that's not the way that our technology works. Ah, okay. So, Diane, you can come up with it. <laughs> I'll work with Pam on it. I'll just go, this is what yeah, I would like go. in my dream. <laughs> <laughs> so, Pam, I have a question. So, artificial intelligence, like I said, has I haven't heard a lot about it in recent 
articles and so forth, but maybe I'm not working in the right way. And it's gotten mixed reviews and it has a scare factor for some that they've been playing up between China and the United States. And why do you see this happening and how do you see the industry shifting as a result of this? Because I think the fears are valid. I, When you look at some of this, the projects that have been done, it's really interesting to me. There was one called Project December. And um, if, if you can find the article, it's by Jason Fagone, and it was brilliantly written. But there was a young man who lost his fiance, and he used a beta version of an advanced AI language to create a chatbot of his fiance. Now, he took one paragraph from her texts and used that paragraph to train that chatbot. That chatbot proceeded then to converse with him using exact verbiage that the fiancé had used when she was alive. Oh my gosh. That is how advanced some of these languages can be. Now, the way that they made sure that that experiment was ethical is that the person who developed that chatbot put an end date on the chatbot. So as soon as it ran out of minutes, it, w- it could never be repeated again. But still, the young man said that it helped him heal, it helped him grieve and be able to say goodbye. But you can see what kind of impact that could actually have on someone. So the challenge is that legislation hasn't kept up with advancement in technology. So if there's a bad actor out there, there could be significant damage. We also have some challenges with bias in the AI algorithms. And people talk about, well, we should be able to have unbiased algorithms. And yes, we should, but it takes a great deal of effort to do that. And we also have to make sure that we have an independent organization testing for bias. That's why my organization had an independent and peer-reviewed evaluation, because we wanted to make sure that we weren't biased and that we had a governing body looking at what we were doing and validating that what we were doing was actually helping. Now we have to do that in AI. And it's not fun, and it takes time, and it takes money, but that's how we keep people safe. Yes, you can see where it very easily could uh, go into some unethical territories. So tell us as as a young CIO at Best Buy in your 20s, what were some of the first projects and initiatives that you had to do for them. I'm just interested in that. Best Buy went through an incredible um, organizational change from a family-driven company to the behemoth that it is today. And we were instrumental in changing out almost every system they had, from their point-of-sale system to their procurement system to their supply chains to they had a complete server overhaul. I was responsible for all of that. We also brought Accenture in with a multi-million dollar program to completely redesign their business processes and technology had to support that. I was instrumental in supporting that as well. So it it was fast paced, it was huge amount of growth and it was interesting to see the culture and dynamic change um, as as time progressed. Right, did you put the geek squad in? (laughs) The geek squad came right as I, that concept came right as I was leaving and I was a little frustrated with Geek Squad um, when it came out that they, you know, they, the FBI had had hired them and they were uh, 
surreptitiously looking at people's computers and reporting people. Now, look, I'm sorry. If you're a pedophile, you deserve it. I'm sorry. Wait, I didn't know that either. So I didn't know FBI that. FBI was doing that, that or the Geek Squad was the doing Geek it or Squad both? was doing it on behalf of the FBI. So, oh, my gosh. So, yeah, that's just to me, yeah. that was just like, oh, I know. come on, you guys. Come on. Yeah, you're better off not knowing all of that. Yeah, exactly. Yep. That's why you have to stop watching the news because you'll get spun up in too many directions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so Pam, you're a mentor and you are really big on core values. Talk to us about why mentoring is important to you. Oh boy, mentoring is so important to me because I know what it's like to have come up in technology um, having been actively discouraged from entering the field. And as a two-time CIO, I faced some very interesting situations with the good old boy culture and outright hostility that at the time, I really didn't even know that that's what was going on. And it was probably the best thing that saved me because I had no idea that that's what was happening. And so it didn't register like it would probably if they had expected it to register. So I just thought, well, that's, I guess that's the way you play the game. So let's go play the game that way. I had no idea. Um, I'll give you an example. I remember being at a CIO conference at Dreamforce, which is salesforce.com's yearly networking conference. And that year I was actually nominated for CIO of the year. Congratulations. That's great. Uh, And I walked into the networking room and literally within five minutes, three other CIOs walked up to me to tell me that the room was out of beverages and could I please restock the room? (laughs) Because I'm sure you were dressed just uh, appropriately for getting beverages. I guess I can't restock the room. I don't know. But my name literally was up on the marquee in front of 15,000 people. And I'm being mistaken for the room facilitator. So if that's happening to me, imagine what's happening to other women whose name isn't on that marquee. Imagine what's happening to women who have a passion to use technology for good and they're being discriminated against or they're being faced with hostility at every turn. Uh, No, I have a passion to see women achieve their dreams. And so it's a privilege for me to be able to support them. And core values for me are an important part of understanding who a person is. It's an interview question that I use often, and people are thrown by it every single time because we don't take the time to think about what do I really stand for? At the end of the day, what do I stand for? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I belong to another organization, uh, technology organization, and 80% is still male Mm -hmm. um, in the IT space. So I think we've made some inroads there, but it does seem that it's still heavily dominated. It is. um, Which which is interesting. Yeah, finance too, by the way. All right. So what's what's your core value? Let's let's ask you. So so Pam, tell us what what is maybe it's more than one, but what's your core value? My highest core value is connection. Okay. So uh, that is my highest core value. So some people can call it love. Some people can call it connection. I, in the corporate world, I call it connection because love gets a, all kinds of crazy um, mm-hmm. assumptions. Mm-hmm. But that means that I'm going to place our relationship, the connection that we have, first above all else. Beth, any, any thought on your core value? No. <laughs> I actually thought 
what about mine? Here, I'll, I'll let you, I'll okay, vamp you for go. a minute. And, and, then, and then you can think about it. So, you know, I was thinking, you know, what are my core values that prepping for this? So one of them is do unto others. You know what? I, I truly treat people as I would want to be treated. I, I would hope that I'm perceived that way. Like, I just want everybody to get along, you know, and just. That's a core value that, of that's, connection. That's one animals and animal rights that's you know and taking care of animals is a true core value too and i've had a lot of animals to attest to that <laughs> and uh and lastly i i don't know if this is a core value but you know it's that whole idea of you know clean up what you've done right so you know you go out and do something you like you go to the beach you pack it up and you take it out so you only leave your footprint it's not leaving that mess that a lot of people do on our freeways and our roads and our beaches yeah I mean, I place a huge emphasis on family and friends and making sure that I value those friendships and family and make sure that I'm doing what I can to keep it together and, yeah. and embrace it. And, you know, that's very important. Of course, the cats, you know, probably <laughs> yeah. the cats are probably above the people, but <laughs> that's OK. So, uh, Pamela, as we wrap this up, um, you know, what advice would you give emerging leaders as they look to come into a career as a, as a CIO or in a executive in the IT space? What are some one or two key lessons you think that they should take away from here? One lesson is to make sure that you have a solid mentors. Um, you are not going to know what you don't know until you're actually in that seat. And you have to be the person accountable to deliver. And once you're in that seat, to make sure that you're a servant leader, right? That you really understand what it is to support your team, that it really is about building others up for their success, for you to be able to achieve yours. That's really, those are the two that I would like people to take away. And what is the emerging force you feel kind of governs your life and work that you feel other people need to embrace? I really, I think people talk a lot about IQ and they talk a lot about EQ, right? I take it one step farther and I talk about heart intelligence. And for me, we need to remember that we're all connected. Our hearts and minds are receivers and transmitters. We literally can measure that energy and it impacts our life. And so I think it was Oprah once that stated, be mindful of the energy you bring to this room. And I really think that she's telling us to be aware of our heart intelligence. And I do believe that science is going to catch up and we're going to be able to measure this in the very near future. And I think that people that are coming out of the pandemic and they're looking to go back into the office, I think they're being come, becoming very aware of the energy that's around them as they come back into the office and they can sense that and they can feel that having been away for so long. And I want us to remember not to lose that intuition that we have. No, that's very sound advice. And we thank you for that. So Diane and I want to thank Pamela for today's session. Um, we enjoyed talking to you and getting to know you better and learning more about AI and health and um, all those mental capacities. So thank you, Pamela, for today. Yeah, and her company is Eminence MSO, right? And Pam, do you want to just give us your website? Sure. It's www.eminencemso.com. Great. Fabulous. So go check it out. Uh, we want to thank our sponsors, Google. Um, Converge Technology, who's an IT solutions provider. Manette, who is a nationwide uh, law firm. Um, Woodworth Sawyers, who specializes in employee benefits. And Amplified Professional Services is an executive search and IT consulting. 
So thank you very much for listening today. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. Hit the subscribe button on Apple, Spotify, and everywhere you find your podcasts. Leave us a review, hopefully a good one. This was a great show. Thank you, Pamela. And do follow us on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. We love hearing from you. Send us an email, media at c-suite.org, and check out our website, and that's www.csweetcsweet.org. We really look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you again for listening.